But Nehemiah, in short form, is, uh, he was a cupbearer. And the reason we're calling it wine walls in worship is because of this whole idea of so many times in the church we, we, make, we make it so complicated of what it means to, to worship God. And so the big question that we keep posing, I, I've said it over and over, you're tired of me hearing it, when was Nehemiah worshiping? Was it when he was the cupbearer to the king? Uh, was he, when he prayed to, the, to God to get favor for the, from the king? Was it when they built the wall up halfway? Was it when they finished the wall, dedicated the wall, reinstituted worship? They built an altar before there was a temple. They were just doing all these things, and the answer is yes. The entire time, his life was worship. And so tonight, that's what we're going to keep on doing. We're in Nehemiah chapter 5. If you have a Bible app, you can click more events um, and then click on Impact Christian Fellowship at IUPUI. If you are completely distracted by your phone and it is a vice, throw it. Don't throw it. Just put it underneath your seat. Some of you can't handle that, and I, I can't either. Um, so anyway, uh, just to open up, I got Derek and I got Zoe. They're both freshmen. So I'm super excited, and uh, the reason that they're sharing tonight is because, first of all, they're awesome, and second of all, is that uh, we want, if you're a freshman, this is your ministry. This is not the senior's ministry. It's not the junior's ministry. It's all of our ministry, right? And we love and value our freshmen, and I hope you feel that, and this is one of the ways that we can do that, is say, hey, here's a microphone. Good luck. Um, So Derek is going to open us out. Uh, up and today we're going to be talking about worship is the way hey guys uh i'm derek as andrew said um so my story it it kind of starts off really recent uh so this summer um i was looking for housing and i applied at the uh i applied on campus and um things didn't turn out and um so as i as summer came around um or the school year came around i was really quickly looking for housing because the school year was about to start. And so um, I applied uh, at some random place that I had no idea about. And uh, so I was matched with random roommates. And um, so I moved in and uh, met one of my roommates. And uh, so we we talked a little bit and um, we moved in we, we moved in pretty early to the school year, so uh, I decided to go home that weekend and uh, see my family one last time before I came up here for good. And um, so whenever I came back, my mom gave me some food to take with me and cookies and milk and all the good stuff. And uh, so I, I got back late one, not, wait, late one night, and um, I opened up the fridge and started putting my milk in there. And uh, I had some Uncrustables, you know, the best launch that there is. And uh, you got to put those in the freezer. So I open up the freezer, and there is about four or five bottles of vodka. And um, both of us are under 21. And so uh, I was like, hey, uh, what's up with the vodka in the freezer? That's kind of not cool. And... uh, um, so he was like, well, I, I don't really see a problem with it. I mean, it's, and so I said, well, you know, it's kind of illegal, and um, that's the problem. <laughs> and so um, I, after that, um, 
he, he ended up moving it to his mini fridge in his room, which is better than out in the main fridge. And uh, so that, that all happened. And then um, as time went on, we, I began to talk to them. Uh, my, other one, my other roommate, he's, he's pretty cool too. Same thing with him though. Uh, so we began to talk and I mean, it was a matter of the first week or two, I was scared and I was like, I, I don't know, I think God has left me. I don't know what has happened with this. And um, as time went on, I prayed and um, it, it began to show that um, he didn't put me in a situation where he'd left me. He put me in a situation to worship to others and show them who he is. And uh, so that really just showed me that worship is um, the way to win the war over wickedness. Amen. And I think, I think all of us, that's so good, and I think all of us at some point have wondered, we're like, okay, maybe you do have vodka in your freezer right now. I don't know. Um, but I think we've all wondered, like, how in the world can I get a handle on my wickedness, my evil, my sin in my life? Everybody in the world is trying to answer that one question. How can I get a handle on it? How can I stop doing the thing that is bad for me? I know it's bad for me, but I can't stop it. And we've wondered that for ourselves personally, and then we've also wondered that for people around us that we really love and care about that are going down a destructive path, and we're like, how can I help them? How can I help myself? It's a worldwide problem. You don't have to be very smart to figure that one out, right? We're all trying to figure it out. And so tonight, worship is the way to win the war on wickedness. This is what we're going to talk about. And so Zoe's going to start our passage in Nehemiah chapter 5, uh, verse 1. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need some more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When we had our first meeting for this passage, we were like looking at each other being like, have you ever heard a sermon on this passage before? I don't think so. Here we go, right? And the, the further we dug into it, the more we realized how much was there, especially for those of you who are in college. I think that's most of you. Okay. So he starts off with this, these first five verses and identifies the problem. Uh, the wall is moving forward uh, around Jerusalem. That's the whole goal that Nehemiah has. Uh, in spite of intimidation of the enemies, on a macro level, those of you who are in economics, you know all about that. Uh, yeah, somebody's laughing. I know that that's true. Uh, and then, then you got that, that the wall has moved forward. Everything's going great according to plan. They're ahead of schedule on this sucker. They're building it. It's coming up over a half, halfway. Things are looking good, and <laughs> this happens all the time where the, the, the big picture looks good, and then you get on the floor, on the ground, and you're looking around, and things are a disaster, and this is what's happening in Israel. On the micro level, things were out of control. The rich were getting richer. The poor were selling their homes they were to buy seed for their crops, to pay their taxes. 
And this was forcing some of them already to sell their, their daughters into slavery. Who was it that brought the problem to Nehemiah's attention? This is very interesting because it's the same as Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We see, who is it that says that we need to get some help to the apostles? The women. You notice that? The wives. Come on now. Preach somebody. We, and I, I'm thinking right here, and this is because I have a seven-year-old daughter. I just, I, you know, some of you have met her, and I do have a son too, but especially with my daughter, I just really hurt for her. I want her to have a voice that matters in the church. But where would we be without the intuition and the perceptiveness of women in the church? In trouble. Let me just go ahead and answer that question for you. In trouble. I mean, we would be in trouble. Um, throughout the history of the church and anything else, when progress is being made, internal problems will begin to arise. Let me say that again. In any organization, any church, when progress is being made, internal problems will start to happen. This is why we have to protect the culture of the local churches. We have to protect the culture of the businesses that we work for, the hospitals we work for. And it starts with us, doesn't it? It doesn't start from the top down. We've tried that. It doesn't work. It's got to start with you guys on the ground floor. It's got to start with the women <laughs> and the men. And so it just reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And it says, be sober-minded. Be awake. That happens again and again in the New Testament. Be awake. Stop falling asleep. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. People are not the problem, but they cause lots of problem, right? Problems. Don't you agree? They're not the problem. Sin is the problem. The devil is the problem. But, but people cause a lot of problems because they allow the devil to take control when he was never meant to have control. Somebody say amen. 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 All right. Let's keep going. Uh, Derek's going to read verses 6 9. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging, the, by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have, have had to sell themselves in, to pagan foreigners but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressured further. What are you doing? What you, what you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by the enemy nations? Let me say it again. Worship is the way to win the war on wickedness. So we have the problem. You know, the big problem is uh, the poor are getting poorer, the rich are getting richer, and everybody at the bottom is just getting crushed while the wall continues to be built. Now that Nehemiah is made aware of the problem, then it's like the thing that all of us love, most of us in the room hate, is confrontation. You guys like that? Where you have to confront someone that has vodka in the freezer or a friend who has betrayed you or whatever the situation is. Um, some of you are in like some serious confrontation situations, getting phone calls, heard from some, one of you, it's on one of uh, teammates in trouble, and you got to listen to them late into the night, you know, listen to mess. It, it's, it's hard to help in those times when you have to confront them about their sin. And now that Nehemiah is made aware of the problem, he isn't going to act like there isn't, it isn't there and proceed with the construction. That's the easy thing to do. 
Uh, problem, small problem. We got the big thing going on over here. Let's not mess with the big thing. Let's crush the small thing and just keep moving, right? That's not my problem. And it actually was his problem. He, and it's so, so cool because the first thing that Nehemiah does is he doesn't burst into action and start hitting people. He does that later. Um, but right now, he, he spends time to think. You see the passage, he said he considered what to do. Remind me of James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And all of us can look back and see when we benefited from a time when we hit pause when we wanted to react. Especially if we're angry, right? Um, <laughs> he said, I told them, and then he called a public meeting. He, he, like as a primitive... Uh, pattern that Jesus set up later in Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 and 16 if your brother or sister sins against you go and tell them their fault between you and them alone if they listen to you you have gained them but if they do not listen take one or two witnesses others along with you that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses the goal when you're confronting someone is not to be right it is to make right. How many of you have been in a confrontation situation and the person is just trying to be right? And no one's going to win this argument. This isn't going to end well. Someone's going to get, uh, I can't say it, mad, and they're going to leave. And they're going to be even more mad than they started with. The goal of confrontation is not to be right, to, but to make right. We got to get that down. The goal we have to have in confrontation is to restore. You can win a debate and lose a soul in the process. And we've seen it time and time again. You want to win an argument, that's great. Good for you. But someone may go to hell because you won an argument. Good for you, right? That's harsh. I'm sorry. Um, and this is what Nehemiah says, and he, he, just, he, he figures out the entire message for today's passage. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? So here's a tough question for you. This is tough for me, too. What is it that usually keeps us, you, from making poor choices? You ever thought about that before? For example... What keeps you from slapping someone? What keeps you from speeding in your car? What keeps you from looking at porn? What keeps you from cheating on an exam? What keeps you from having sex before you're married? What keeps you from drinking large amounts of vodka? Uh, isn't it usually, I'm going to go ahead and answer it for you again. We don't have time. I wish I could hear all your answers. Maybe in your life group, you can kind of unpack that even more. But isn't it usually the consequences, the getting caught? that keep us from doing evil, that's it. I heard the other day, from Eugene Peterson, I was reading a book by him, he said that uh, educators uh, teach the law and law enforcement enforces the law. And that's what holds society together, literally. Isn't that sad? We see it all the time in natural disasters. A uh, tsunami comes in, a hurricane, and uh, destroys the whole place, and there's stuff everywhere, and looters come in and just steal everything out of the buildings, like middle-class people coming in there, stealing all this stuff. Like, what, what keeps people from doing that right now? Because they will go to jail if that happens, right, most of the time. So usually consequences are what keep us from doing evil. 
We don't want someone to slap us back. We don't want to get a speeding ticket. We don't want to get someone catch us looking at porn. We don't want to get caught cheating on an exam. We don't want, you know, um, <laughs> damaged relationships because of not being able to wait. Um, what if our worship, the awe, and so when he says, should you not walk in the fear of our God, there were, in the Hebrew, there were three main terms to use for worship in the Old Testament. This is why I've refrained, like, intentionally from putting in any text, any message that we send out, when we say, night of worship, we're going to eat at 7, we're going to worship at 7.30. No, we're going to sing and we are going to listen to a message at 7.30. The reason I say that is intentional because this whole thing, everything, all the food you consumed, all the food that was prepared that, and, and trucked here from I-74 and hanging right for quite a bit of miles, right? Uh, it was worship the whole time. And so one of the words that's used for worship in the Old Testament and the New Testament is to fear the Lord. Part of it is knowing that God has the ability to take you and to throw you into outer space if he wanted to. And then part of it is that he is so big and so amazing and so mighty, sustaining all of life, and I can't not bow down and worship him. He is that great. Many of us don't have that. That's why Solomon said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Nehemiah has in ten words explained why Israel and all of mankind struggles with sustained morality and culture. Isn't this it? This is why we can't have sustained morality and make good decisions other than Adam. You know, he kind of blew it all for us. But the, the thing is, we, we, we often don't hate the sin and the evil. We don't hate it. We hate the consequences of that evil and that sin and that wickedness. We often don't truly love God more than what we love, what he can offer us. So let that sink in for a second. And so that's what confrontation looked like in this passage, and I think it's what it should look like in our, our lives. We're not done yet. Stay with us. Verses 10 through 13. I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day. And repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and the officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robes and said, If you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, Amen. And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Oh, man. This guy. So we read about the problem taking advantage of these people to the point where they're in a desperate situation. We read about him confronting them. Now it is time to call the people to change. Yet Nehemiah does something super shocking in verse 10. What does he do in verse 10? So unexpected in the passage. You think this righteous anger, this uh, man of God praying, 800-mile travel, getting the timber, getting ready for the wall, organizing this amazing 52-day feat of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And what does he do in verse 10? He says, I'm a part of the problem. I'm not expecting that. Are you? 
Check out this quote. Now disarmingly, Nehemiah includes himself in the charge, quite clearly judging by his shocked reaction in verse 6. His own lending had been on a very different terms from theirs, but he sees now that the depth of the poverty had called for gifts, not loans. And he makes no disclaimers. It's time to stop loaning them money and start giving them money. That makes no sense for the rich economically, does it? No, they're going to lose money that they liked so that the poor could succeed. This is not a lesson in economics, but even though he, was, he wasn't guilty in the same degree as the offenders were, Nehemiah chose humility here instead of pride. Now listen carefully. All of you are leaders. I don't care what you do. Uh, he's engineering. She's art education. Uh, whatever your major is, I don't care. Great leaders will never ask something of someone they're not willing to do themselves. Those in the wrong were ready to make it right. And so he, like, they did a vow. They vowed themselves, and it's like an intense vow. May God shake you from your homes and your property. <laughs> a vow in Jewish culture was a binding agreement. For us, vows mean nothing. We can make a vow and then, like, tomorrow be like, I don't feel like doing that. Ah, I'll just get divorced. Or it just it makes no, no debt. We can just do whatever we want. Vows don't even matter. But in Jewish culture, they were very important. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, if you want to read that later on, you can. But it shows the commitment and the serious consequences that went with breaking a vow. The people ended up following through in verse 8, 13. And one of my favorite passages on repentance is Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Repent, therefore, which means to have a change of mind that is going to change my life. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Worship is the way to win the war on wickedness. And Zoe's going to share her story. Okay, so my story kind of begins on a mission trip to Haiti. So in 2010, there was an earthquake in Haiti, and um, it killed many people, and it destroyed a lot of things in Haiti. And um, my parents are really involved at my church back home. And in 2010, my dad went on the first trip, mission trip to Haiti. And me as a little 10-year-old, I was like, I really want to go with him. Like, I really did. It was one of my main goals in life as a 10-year-old. And um, um, so um, when I was about 14, I went my first mission trip. And then I went again when I was 16. Um, mission trips are an amazing thing to just witness in your life. And I think for me it kind of became a thing where I realized that people were hurting, but I thought the people that were hurting were really far away. Um, I didn't realize that I had a problem with this kind of thing, like being oblivious to the hurting or the people that are oppressed in my life until just recently. So um, growing up in church, I also went to a church camp every summer. Um, th so this past summer, it was my last one, really sad time. Um, so, but I, I just continuing on church camp like I normally would. Um, I just hung out with my friends, did my thing, and I fell into this obliviousness that I typically fall into. And um, in my dorm, I could see my mom. My mom is also a youth leader at my church, so I could see her across the dorm talking to this girl I didn't know. I kind of shrug it off, and I was like, it's fine. It's She's talking to her. It's cool. Um, and I didn't know this girl until church camp was over, and I realized her name is Kayla. She lived in the town I lived in, and she 
was from a very poverty-stricken family. She'd only eat one meal a day. She, she was just struggling. And um, it was one of those things where I didn't realize that the hurting were around me still. Um, and my mom was a great example of this for me. Um, she kind of helped me realize that I did have a problem. There wasn't really a c confrontation like Nehemiah did with the people. But like it was more of a thing for within myself. I was like, this is a problem you have. You don't realize that there's these people around you that are hurting. You think that the hurting are in Haiti and, or far away. And um, it's just a thing I needed to fix. And um, so my mom, she would um, reach out to Kayla every week. She'd bring her and her sister to church with us. She would take them out to lunch with us. And Kayla's in college now, and my mom has been helping her and just this problem in my life, um, my mom really helped me realize that, that that they're hurting all around us, but even when there's people hurting, even talking to them shows them love. You don't need to go to Haiti to help the broken. You can just talk to them, show them love, and show them that they are cared for, and show them that they are wanted, and just the hurting are right around us, and my mom helped me realize that worship is the way to win the war on wickedness. Amen. Let's go back into the passage and just grab some things. First thing we want to grab, you need to plan for problems. Don't look for problems. <laughs> but we aren't in heaven yet. And I think people get confused about that. They're like, I can't believe what's going on. My life is coming undone. I can't believe I'm struggling with this class. This professor doesn't understand me. No, he doesn't. She doesn't. That's normal. I, I'm sorry, but we're not in heaven yet. Things aren't always going to work out. And so adjust your expectations. Anticipate things not working out right now until you're in heaven. Then you can anticipate things working out all the time. Um, I was asking God to send Jesus. As I was driving this morning, I was like, please, God, just send Jesus back. Maybe you were thinking that earlier today. We were trying to study for midterms. I don't know. Um, the second, second thing to grab out of the passage is that injustice will not resolve on its own. There's so many times we think, we look at a problem, we say, man, that is awful. And then we're like, I can't think about that. And then we just kind of go along our day, we kind of shake our head like that and just move on. And we try to remain unaffected. I want to encourage you, when you see injustice around you, God wants, you, wants to use you to step, in, step out and step into that situation now, I'm not talking about, like, taking people's lives over. Her mom's example is so good. She makes a friend at camp. And not only says, I'm, gonna, I'm your friend at camp, I'm your friend wherever we're at. And I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you succeed as much as I can. It's beautiful. The third thing to grab from the passage is that breakthrough is in the follow-through. Call others to a new way to think and act. Call yourself to a new way to think and act. Stop living your life. Well, I shouldn't do that because uh, if Andrew found out or my mom found out or my grandma found out, man, they'd be really disappointed in me. I probably shouldn't do that. Garbage. Maybe I would be dis I have no idea. Probably not. I've heard a lot of things. But I, I think we've got to stop that. I am going to make the right decision because I fear and worship God more than anyone else, more than anything else. And I care what he thinks more than I care what I think. And what anybody else thinks. Amen? And this, uh, I immediately thought about the story of Solomon. The guy had a strong start. He asked for wisdom. And then he had an awful middle, right? 
where he had like 700 wives, 300 concubines. This guy was crazy. He drank as much wine as he wanted. He amassed more wealth than any human has ever amassed in the history of mankind. People were bowing down to him. Ah, oh, Solomon. And at the end of his life, we, we see we have a chapter where he writes about the end of his life in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. In Ecclesiastes, we don't have time to go through this chapter, but his eyes are going bad. He can't hear anything. He can't. Uh, you know, do anything with his 700 wives anymore, if you know what I mean. I mean, he's, he just, he's useless to, to life anymore. And he's like, oh, I can't smell. I can't, you know, and he's like, like whining. And then he's like whining, 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 whining. And then like 13 and 14. And actually before that, he said, study is, is weariness to the flesh, <laughs> which is true, right? And so verses 13 and 14, the end of the matter Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. The end of the matter, when all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. If that can't motivate you to repent, I can't do it. I can't motivate you. I can't coach you. I can't get you there. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up at this time. We're going to sing one more song together. If you have to leave, if you're stressed out and this is bothering you, and you're like, i got to study, i got to study, you can leave at this time. You can be dismissed. If you want to sing another song with us, um, uh, let's stand together. I'm going to share one last story. I have a neighbor, and uh, I won't say his name because i got two neighbors on either side of me. And uh, he is not a, a large man. He is very small. And... Um, he actually went to IUPUI in the 80s, um, drinks a lot of alcohol, and he and I are pretty good friends, um, but it's not always been that way with my neighbor. Um, one day, I was playing with our, our daughter, who's seven. She was one at the time, and uh, he had um, consumed a little too much alcohol, and, and our dog is the most annoying dog on the earth. He is a miniature pincher. And we have to, like, we have a fence, but we have to tie him out on the, with the fence because he can't catch him. He's too fast. And so he's doing what he does in the backyard, barking, 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 barking. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And we have a one-year-old uh, trying to navigate. We're playing with her in the backyard. We're trying to chase him around. And all of a sudden, I see a rock come from his yard into our yard. <laughs> Missed all three of us in the backyard. My wife was in the house. And so I grabbed my daughter. I didn't want to get hit by another rock. <laughs> and so I went back in the house, and I told my wife what happened, which was my first not mistake. And she goes, you better go over there, and you better tell him to stop throwing rocks at my baby right now. Go. <laughs> I got my problem. It's time to make my confrontation. It's time to do my call to my neighbor to a new life. <laughs> what was I going to do? And I hate confrontation. I'm an introvert by nature. I don't like confrontation. I would rather die in that moment. I was also praying, Jesus, please return right now. And uh, she, got, she got tired of me waiting. You know what? She went over there, all 5'2 of herself, knocks on that door and says, Sir, did you throw a rock in our yard? Uh, uh, no, no, I didn't. I know you threw that rock. <laughs> there better not be any more rocks coming into our yard. Are we understood? 
yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she went back in the house. I felt so awful. Why, why in the world was I so scared of this man being so mad at me? Why was I caring what he was thinking? Well, my wife is like, it's my baby. I'm not going to have my baby be hit by a rock when we live right next door to him. Think about that. The way to win the war on wickedness is worship. It's worship. It's the fear of the Lord. It's not the fear of someone else and what they're going to think of us. It's like, what does God think about me? And let me tell you something tonight. It's not this... uh, it's like the Chronicles of Narnia. He's not safe, but he's good. Amen? Let's sing.